When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, you want to be authentic, but if you have some of these personal demons uh, that we all have, uh, all of us have our trigger points, our buttons that people can push that we have to learn how to deal with. So we want to be authentic, but we want to understand where those trigger points are and try to avoid that whenever possible. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show, season 10, episode three, and we've got uh, two for the price of your time today. We've got two guests with us, co-authors, and you know that here at Let's Grow Leaders, we are a big fan of co-authors, and I am a big fan of the work that we're gonna be talking about today, and you'll see why here in a little bit. Uh, Our guests today are Alicia and Joel. Alicia Thrasher has over 20 years management experience in information technology, including eBay, PayPal, Google, and Anheuser-Busch. And Joel Trammell is a serial entrepreneur, author, the owner of Texas CEO Magazine, and he's an expert on helping CEOs get the fundamental tools and education they need to make their companies great. And together, they have written a book called The Manager's Playbook make exceptional people management your competitive advantage. So I know you're tuned into this show. You already know just from that title why I like this book so much. So can't wait to get into it. But before we dive into talking about the manager's playbook and all of the the brilliance and the system and everything that's there, uh, Joel and Alicia, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So uh, I want you to each of uh, each of you, if you would, take us back and tell us about your earliest memory of yourself as a leader and whatever that looks like for you. But what's your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? And I'll let you decide who goes first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, probably my first experience where it was really called out was uh, in the U.S. Navy. I joined the U.S. Navy to teach at what they call Naval Nuclear Power School. And to uh, get uh, prepared, they sent us to what they call officer indoctrination school, where they taught you who to salute and, you know, how to wear the uniform and how to act like a military officer. And uh, you were divided into kind of small groups. Let's call it a platoon of 12 or 15 people. And each day, one person was appointed the leader, kind of regardless of their rank or, or status or whatever. And, and they, were designed, uh, they were to lead the drills that particular day. The first two or three days, someone else got appointed, and I was struck by how difficult it seemed for them to make even the simplest decisions uh, as we went through the day. And I had plenty of opinions that I was very willing to offer on how they should have solved the various problems much better. And then, you know, third or fourth day, my name gets called, and suddenly I find out that being in the leader's chair is a lot different than uh, being the peanut gallery. And, and that this was maybe a little more difficult than I had first surmised, and that uh, when you were given responsibility for a group, even how trivial this was, uh, it was uh, much harder to figure out the right direction. And so that caused me to have a little bit of a fascination with leadership, and it kind of started there. 
I love that. So that it's uh it, you know i have the saying that i was the perfect parent until i became one <laughs> i feel like that's the same way with managers i was uh, you know the perfect manager until i became a manager then realized how hard it is and everyone's different so. oh yeah absolutely i have a i call it the other side of the desk and yeah i have that same same <laughs> yeah. experience it was real easy to have all my opinions from one side of the desk when i was on that other side boy it was a little bit different so so Joel, early memory is one of humility and having that experience and then and the questioning and the exploring and the curiosity that that provoked for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and, and of course the military was a great uh, training ground. I mean, you, you did get positions of leadership and you got to observe a lot of other leaders. And, and uh, so that was really where my fascination with the whole concept of how do you run an organization well because uh, I didn't think, of course, it was run uh, as well as it could have been. Uh, that's kind of where all that started for me. All right, great. Well, let's head over to you, Alicia. Yeah, so I started out uh, my career as a, as a developer. Um, I quickly learned, probably within the first year, that I, um, I needed to be in front of people instead of a screen all day. So I quickly went into managing projects and programs and people, um, led a bunch of different teams along the way. Um, but I love that I started out as that individual contributor, understanding developers so I could um, you know, help them grow and then also understand you know, timeframes, what they needed and, um, and maybe where to call them out if, <laughs> if they were trying to, to get by with something too. So. So it sounds like definitely that investment in people as you're doing everything else and then started seeing that as as something that was very rewarding. It was. That that's my the best part of my week is um my one-on-ones with my team, helping them get better understand, um, you know, clear their blockers. Awesome. Like Fantastic. I empathize there too. That that aspect of helping people become their best version of themselves. That's always been been something I have valued as well. Well, welcome again. Uh, so you're coming to us from Austin, Texas today. Is that right? That's yes. right. All right. Favorite thing, if we visit Austin, what do we have to see? Mm. Or, or eat. I'll take food too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always take people to Mount Driscoll uh, because many people from out of state think Texas is totally flat. And Austin is the one area of Texas that uh, is not totally flat and has some nice views and hills. So. I have been hiking uh, just outside of Austin, as a matter of fact. How about you, Alicia? Anything you recommend? Yeah, so really for me, it's any of the, the barbecue. Uh, mm. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan. And all right. All here. <laughs> you got it. You have a favorite place? I mean, we're taking recommendations. Let's see. Oh, that's so hard. What is? I, I mean, I'll throw out Perry's. Perry's Steakhouse is, is fantastic. Oh, yes. Oh, that, Perry's that, pork, yes. that pork shop there is is beyond compare. It is. It's famous for, it, sure. for good reason, for good reason. Right. All right. But we're not here to talk about barbecue. But so Alicia, keep in mind, if you get to the end, you have, oh, wait, I've got to recommend this restaurant. Let us know. All right. So we're talking, we're talking leadership. We're talking the manager's playbook. And one of the things that you've done uh, with the manager's playbook is you've put together, and this is what I find so valuable about it and why I wanted to introduce our listeners to it, is you've put together a consistent management system that both individuals can take. And as an individual manager, I can take and apply this way of thinking, and I'm going to be a better manager, a better leader, better coach, all of those for it. 
And organizationally, if I'm in a position to lead things organizationally, I can use the same exact system and it all fits together. It's very powerful that way. So my question for you to start before we get into the details of the book is, as a co-author myself a couple of times, I'm curious what brought you together to work on this, uh, on the manager's playbook together and why you decided that that was the way to go. Yeah, so Joel and I met a couple of years ago and um, right away just kind of hit it up off. We have kind of the same personality. We have that direct um, get things done attitude. Um, he had written a book about CEOs and developed some CEO software. And we decided to um, create a company around helping managers get better. Um, and in that also create software and, and write a book and develop training so that uh, we could help you know, that group of people, because so many people spend, you know, the majority of their time at work. And so if you go home and you have, you know, a bad day at work because of your manager, then that extends to your, your life and your, you know, significant others and maybe family. And so um, there's kind of a greater good out there that a bigger mission that we're trying to accomplish as well. And you really get into that in the introduction of the book. I mean, the, the introduction is titled Why Managers Matter. And I appreciated that because there's not a person listening right now that isn't either a manager, uh, has been for quite some time, or maybe is aspiring to, is you know right on the cusp of their first leadership management type of role. Uh, and so why managers matter, you, you just talked about so many different, you've got life, quality of life issues and the ripples that go out way beyond just the, the workplace. Why else? Why else is it so important for us to think uh, in this way about our management? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, as the manager of someone, you are probably the first or second most impactful person in that person's life. Um, you know, and, and particularly for many young employees you may have, if you're their first manager, you're, you're probably going to be the most impactful person in their life at that period of time. And so everything you do uh, matters significantly to them, whereas it's not really a symmetrical relationship. They may not be the most important person in your life because you may have your own boss and your own spouse and your own other peers and other people in the organization that you have to deal with. And so the criticality that, that the employee puts on their manager, the need for their time and their effort, I think a lot of managers don't realize that uh, when they first get into management roles. Boy, that is so true. I, you know, as I think about it, it's it's an asymmetry that's easy. It's just easy to forget uh, that 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 it is that important for for people. You know, you have. Oh, go ahead, Alicia. So it really rolls up to, um, you know, the bigger picture for the company as well, because you really do create a competitive advantage because the old saying that people lead managers, not companies is absolutely true. You talk to any of your friends and family why they left the job, they'll talk about their boss or, um, you know, not necessarily company policy. Um, or company vision. They'll talk about, you know, someone that impacted them on a daily basis. Um, so if you have a great manager who is motivating employees, getting the best out of them, then that's the competitive advantage for your business as well. You know, it's one of those uh, areas that the, the way that we think about it is, you know, and, and I love the subtitle of the book, Make Exceptional People Management Your Competitive Advantage, in that so much else in this day and age, your technology, uh, some of your processes, those things are table stakes. Uh, ha having that 
be competitive, that just opens the door of, oh, okay, I can play in this field in this industry, but what's going to make the ultimate difference for your organization long-term? It's your people, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, capital used to be, you know, hard to come by. The geography used to matter. Uh, you know, these are things that just no longer are significant and it comes down to people for most businesses today. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it then. You've got the book divided into three sections, part one, two, three. Part one talks about fundamentals. These are five competencies that define good management. And uh, I, I want to hit on a couple of these because there's just so much. Uh, actually, before that, though, I got to go back. You hit, uh, in the introduction, I think it was, or in one of the early chapters, uh, you, you had this notion of quotes versus plans versus systems. And like, uh, like it was like average manager, decent, you know, average leader has quotes and then plans and then systems. Tell, tell us about that. I just love that as a, as a concept. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of managers, when they first get the job, they have something they're focused around. I talk about football coaches a lot when we teach just because everybody's had the experience with some sort of sports coach or something. And so, you know, they come in and they've got a theme and, and you know, maybe enthusiasm. They want everybody to show enthusiasm. And the first day the coach preaches that, well, you're pretty enthusiastic. But about the 50th day the coach preaches that, you've probably lost some of your enthusiasm and you're kind of wondering what's next. And, and so, you know, for most people, then what's next is some sort of plan. Uh, if you're a football coach, maybe you've got some offense that you've figured out some specific wrinkle and you run that offense or you've got some defensive scheme that you think is a little better and you kind of run that. And what uh, the quote that, that, that we like is the system, though, is when you've got all of that integrated together. You've got an offensive plan that matches your defensive plan, that matches your special teams plan, that most importantly matches who you can recruit to run all of those plans because it does no good to have a passing offense that requires the quarterback to throw the ball 50 yards if you've got a quarterback who can only throw it 25. And so that's what we're trying to get the concept around when we talk about a management system. You have to look at things holistically across the organization and include who you can recruit and put into those positions uh, to be successful. And, you know, what, what, struck me as you're talking and as I, as I was looking is that systems are what prevail over time. Uh, the quote, you know, the, the, I can get somebody riled up and with a good quote and, and I love a good quote, but it only has a shelf life. It's emotionally, it's a, Oh, it's a little spark, but it's not what's going to prevail over time. It's a good effective system that does that. And that's what you're, that's what you've provided, uh, through the, the manager's playbook here. It also provides scalability, too, so that as you grow, everyone is, uh, you know, on the same framework, has a common language and system. Oh, such a fan of that in any organization. You can have that common system, that common approach to so many of these issues that you raise. So, all right, let's get into fundamentals here. We talk in communication, motivation, decision making, productivity and awareness. Uh, all of word, all of those are words that should be pretty familiar to most managers, leaders. And you also have some different takes on some of these. And I want to highlight a couple of these and ask you about them. So let's just start with communication. Uh, because getting everybody on the same page, that is, you know, job one from a communication standpoint. But you talk about communication also in terms of authenticity and authentic communication. And authenticity is one of these words, particularly over the course of the pandemic and and so on that uh, 
authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, like some of these words have been emphasized more and more. We're seeing it in, in the leadership language and, and so on that's out there. What do you mean by authenticity and why is that so important from your perspective in a leader manager's communication? Yeah, so the, the, the two words we really focus on, as you mentioned, authentic and, and transparent. And, you know, I kind of believe it's a right of every employee uh, by joining your organization that they ought to have the right to know uh, objective reality, what's really going on in the organization. Not my spin on, on how I'd like things to be going necessarily, uh, and that I should provide them with all the information uh, possible. And it's a two-way street. If I don't provide the information, they have the right to ask uh, for that information. Uh, but you have to be careful with both those things. I mean, authentic is great, but if you authentically lose your temper and run around yelling and scream at people, that's not going to be very productive <laughs> as a manager. And so, you know, one of the challenges as you get into leadership is it reveals your personal character and your personal demons. And the higher you go, the more those are difficult to hide uh, and the more those show up. And so, yes, you want to be authentic. But if you have some of these personal demons uh, that we all have, uh, all of us have our trigger points, our buttons that people can push that we have to learn how to deal with. So we want to be authentic, but we want to understand where those trigger points are and try to avoid that whenever possible. And Alicia, how about you? Uh, when you think of authenticity and, and how that works for leaders in their communication, like what are some of the common mistakes that people make? Um, I think like Joel said, you know, it's just, you have to be open and honest and you have, and when you do that, your employees start doing that to you. So they'll let you know when they have blockers that they can't meet their goals because something came up rather than trying to hide those and, uh, um, push them under the rug. And then at the end of the quarter, they don't meet their goals. So it's just building a culture, uh, of authenticity. All right, so that's authenticity and such an important skill for every leader. If we want to be connected, if we want to have people's hearts connected to the work, they got to see ours. Uh, and then there's the the authentic, the being authentic about what's actually taking place in the business, all those different levels. Let's move to to communication more broadly. When when leaders when communication goes wrong in general from a, a manager's perspective, a, a system, a systemic, a systematic approach to communication, what are some of the common issues that, that you have seen that get managers in trouble when it comes to communication, apart from the issues of authenticity and transparency? Yeah, well, it's no different in personal relationships. Communication starts with trust. And if you have a trusted relationship with a person or with the people of an organization, uh, there's a certain set of things you can say. You could say the exact same words in an untrusted relationship and get a very different reaction, right? And so, you know, you start with the concept of building trust in the organization. And until you have that, it's really difficult to have kind of meaningful conversations that go beyond the superficial level until you have a level of trust built up. Yeah, and there's also the fact of, you know, everyone is different and we have to treat them how they want to be treated. Um, so we have to really understand the individual, their personalities, their strengths, so that they, that we're speaking in a way that they're hearing and um, taking action on. You know, as you're talking about 
the meeting people where they are and building trust, trust takes time. And if you're in a situation where let's say you've taken over a new team or you're, you've got responsibility for a new department, new organization of some kind. And yes, we're going to do all the things that you, you mentioned over time to build trust. Is there anything that we, that you have found to be particularly effective at building that trust and gaining that credibility in the short term? Um, so I go back to pretty practical things. I, I want to be able to do something to get to where I need to go. Um, so I mentioned that the favorite part of my week is the one-on-ones um, with my individual team members. Um, that has really um, been, you know, we have sped up the trust so much with doing those because we'll go in, We ha- I have specific questions that I'll ask them around, um, you know, where are their goals? If you were CEO for the day, what would you do? What's your biggest concern for the week? Um, and I start with the easier questions and kind of build up to some more difficult ones, um, you know, that that take more trust to be able to answer. How could I be better as a manager? Um, those sorts of questions really do help um, build that relationship. And particularly for, for CEOs, the, you know, words I listen for when somebody takes over in a new position, there are two phrases that I think are just really important. One is, I don't know. Uh, because, you know, I've been CEO of various organizations for over the past 30 years. And you put me in a new organization to, tomorrow, there's a lot I don't know. But for some reason, CEOs are often, especially when they're new to the position, afraid to show that afraid to say those words. Uh, they think they're supposed to have all the answers and revealing that to their team might you know, worry people and exactly the opposite. And then the other words that I'm always listening for too is I made a mistake. I was wrong on that issue. Now we're gonna change and go in a different direction. Um, and those two phrases, if you listen to a leader for very long and you don't hear one of those two phrases, it's hard for me to believe they're really being authentic and transparent. You know, that's so important. It doesn't matter if you're, you're you'd be new to a frontline leadership role or the CEO, new CEO of the organization. The, the same holds true and obviously more eyes on you in the one role than the other. But the the credibility that comes with quickly taking responsibility and acknowledging that, A, I don't know, or B, yeah, I was wrong or I made a mistake or whatever, and taking responsibility and then changing, moving forward with that, because we're all human. Everybody knows that you're a human being, that they know that they do the same thing. So yeah, we're not, we're not admitting a weakness there. We're actually demonstrating strength. Yeah. In business, you're going to have, you're going to make some decisions that are wrong and that's okay. But if you learn to say, you know, we're going to go in this direction, this is our strategy and we might learn a few more things and then uh, we're going to pivot. Um, that's a lot more impactful to your team than saying this is the right strategy. And then when you fail, um, it, it's more of, you know, they lose trust in you rather than saying, okay, we're going to try this. I think it's the right decision at this point, And we might have to pivot later. We are talking with Joel Trammell and Alicia Thrasher here. They are the co-authors of the Manager's Playbook, Make Exceptional People Management Your Competitive Advantage. And we've been talking about fundamentals, five competencies to define good management. We've been talking about communication uh, at length. I want to move to motivation now because, again, there are a lot of good things that you have to say. When we talk about motivation, that's one of those things that can feel like a, a soft, a squishy 
type of a thing. And, uh, and I know that it's something I wrestled with as an early leader, because I would come in, I think, uh, going back to our, our quote plan system, I'd come in thinking I needed to motivate and get them riled up and excited. And that's not my personality. It was inauthentic. It didn't work. What are we talking about with motivation? What's the most important aspect to understand about your people's motivation? Yeah, so you know, one year I did 252 interviews, I think, to hire 100 people in an organization. And so, you know, and you got to go through the same things. And I always wanted to know, okay, what was your favorite place you've worked? And then when they answer that, I'd say, okay, well, describe the best day at work. And almost always, without exception, I would say I heard one of two things. I heard either the day they or they and their team achieved something they didn't think was possible or the day they or they and their team were recognized for achieving something somebody didn't think was possible, okay? I never heard, oh, it was the day I got a $10,000 raise. I never heard it was the day they made me a vice president. Uh, it was never the day I got a company car. Uh, those were never what I heard. And uh, I think we have this you know, idea in our head that the reason people are motivated at work is motivated by money. And then I often I'll ask in a group, what motivates people at work? And somebody will say money. And I'll turn and look them right in the eye and go, so that's what motivates you at work is money. And they'll go, no, not me. I mean, it's all these other people or the greedy people around here. I, you know, I motivate by getting things done. And, and so it's one of those, we think other people are different than we are. Now, what that achievement is, what that mission is, all of us will have a unique view of that. Uh, but but the thing that really gets people excited at work is winning uh, and and achieving stuff and 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 that's where that's what's going to get people up every morning. Sure, they have to be paid, they have to be paid fairly, or you will aggravate them. Uh, but that's not going to turn a mediocre performer into a great performer. No amount of money is going to do that. It's their internal motivation to achieve something that identifies with your mission and vision. So if we go back to the individual manager, they have control over that, whether there's achievement, you know, are you setting goals with your employees? Um, you know, you set up what work they do best. So, um, or assign which work they do best. So you really set them up to win. So we go back to the great resignation and that's huge right now. You know, you're replacing $70,000 employees for 140. We wanna make sure we keep our people and keep them motivated. So you do that by having great managers who who really give them uh, employees the work they want to work on and that they can really have that sense of achievement. That's how you motivate. So. And so as I'm as I'm listening to you talk, motivation is an inside game. I mean, a person's motivation is internal to them. And so we can uh, align the achievement with the things that are meaningful for them. But that means we've got to be getting people on the team who have motivation that's aligned with what it is we're achieving as a team, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. The older I get, the more mission vision alignment uh, is just so critical in an organization. When I was young, I probably would have told you, oh, just give me smart people that want to get things done and we'll figure out whether they're aligned with the mission later. And uh, I think that's a mistake. Um, getting people who are aligned with the mission and vision, see the world similarly to you, get excited about whatever the, the industry is. And, and, you know, I tell people, I mean, you know, Chick-fil-A's managed to convince 17 year olds that serving me a hot chicken sandwich makes a difference in the world and motivates them. 
then most people have businesses that they have a lot you know, more obviously motivating story than that. And uh, managers need to use that to their advantage. Got to connect with it. And that, that skips us ahead to uh, some of the, the work of the manager in terms of growing, but we'll get there. I want to hit one more of these fundamentals because this is a, another one that uh, I don't see talked about very often. And I, I thought you had a helpful approach here, and that is awareness. One of your five fundamental competencies for good management is awareness. So what are we talking about with awareness? So there's kind of two pieces to that. So there's awareness of your employees and then self-awareness. Um, we talk about the platinum rule, which is treat others how they want to be treated rather than the golden rule of treat others how you want to be treated. Uh, because there's all different personalities and strengths out there, and we really need to manage to those and develop relationships for those. So it's really important to be aware of, of your end of it, uh, your employees' um, strengths and personalities. And then there's the self-awareness. So you need to understand yourself. Um, we have a concept called the user's manual where you write down all the quirky things about you, um, how people can work best with you. Um, and we actually have, you know, our employees write the same thing. Um, it cuts down learning time. It cuts down misunderstandings. If, if people know ahead of time that I really prefer in person or call me, if you text or email me, that may take me, you know, six hours to get back to you and you're wondering why, you know, I'm not getting back to you. Well, <laughs> that's my preferred method of communication. Um, also, Joel and I are, are quite direct. And so we'll get an email, um, a long email that our employees have put, you know, lots of time and thought and effort into, and we read it all, or at least the bullets. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll reply yes or no. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, in certain personalities, we'll take that as, oh my gosh, they hate me. <laughs> and really, as direct people, we're thinking, we just saved you a lot of time because there was a question at the end and we answered that. Um, so, so learning that, um, about yourself and others is, is very important. <laughs> which, uh, which kudos for you for actually reading the whole thing, because I know a fair <laughs> number of high urgency direct leaders who are like, oh, no, I can't do this. So <laughs> if you're if you're communicating with someone like Joel or Alicia, you might go with the be brief, be bold, be bulleted and uh, and then get out. You know, that's that's might be a more effective way and then get all the explanation under that if they want the extra. So, OK, so yes to everything you just said in terms of cultivating our self-awareness and our awareness of people. And by the way, I, I did that. Uh, user manual I had an executive assistant who did that. Wow, what an incredible experience. So it's definitely recommend that uh, practice if you're not already uh, doing something like that. I am curious from your perspective, if you have any recommendations where, you know, somebody's listening right now going, okay, I hear you. How can I grow my awareness? Um, I recognize I'm not always aware and I get just head down and I'm, how can I grow my awareness? Yeah, we have a couple of recommendations for that. I and mean, we start everybody with taking some personality assessments. Uh, there are a lot of different, uh, you know, styles out there. You kind of pick one you like, but uh, you, you need to learn how you are unusual. Uh, so if you look, we, we like the personality assessments that kind of give you a spectrum. 
so for instance, on the spectrum of direct versus expressive, Alicia and I are very direct. And so we're on one end of the spectrum. So that what that means is people that are on the other end of the spectrum, we're probably going to struggle with those people. And we're going to think they're the weird ones. Well, the fact is we're both the weird ones <laughs> and we're on opposite ends. Now, if you're in the middle of that spectrum, you're probably going to have less trouble on that particular area because you're going to kind of be able to see both sides of the equation. So that's one of the things that a lot of the personality assessments gives you is some of these behavioral uh, spectrums that you can use. And we also are big fans of 360 assessments where somebody anonymously surveys the, the key people that work with you, work for you, that you work for, and gives you back their feedback of how you impact them in the workplace. And it's very easy often for other people to see these things um, because you don't know you're weird, uh, but they recognize it very quickly, right? And they pick up on these areas where you, you may not be aware at all. And so, you know, the, both those things, and then often there'll be peers, if you have peers in the organization that you can kind of partner with uh, to help you as well. Because again, they're going to see things in you and you're going to see things in them that can be very helpful to eliminate some of your rough spots because you're probably going to have two or three of these areas where you're kind of just on one end of, of whatever spectrum that you need to be acutely aware and, and monitor. I second that so strongly. One of the, the things that I found to be helpful in this uh, arena was uh, in my, more of my executive work, I tried to make a habit of once a quarter picking a question, some area of my work and going out and asking a uh, number of my direct reports or, or colleagues or, or peers. And, you know, it could be a handful, five or six people. We call it a, a listening tour, but going out and asking, hey, what am I doing? What's one thing I'm doing well here? And what's one area that I could be more effective here? How could I, what's one way? And, and just one, just, you know, making it specific and then look for the themes. <laughs> you know, if uh, one person tells you you're dead, you know, you can laugh. Two people, check your pulse. If three people do, it might be time to lay down, right? <laughs> and so what are some of the themes you're hearing? All right, that's part one. We've been talking about some of these uh, management competencies in the manager's playbook. Uh, let's get to uh, part two and three. So in part two, you talk about three tools. And I thought that, again, this is so important. So the three tools are management, leadership, and coaching. And one of the things that I appreciated about this is it's it's such a cliche out there. And it's the problem with memes, right, on the internet is we com when we communicate in memes, we see things like leadership, Management, you know, that kind of a thing. And there's this, this bifurcation and, and put them opposite one another and they're not. And then you add in coaching too. So how, how do these tools play together? Yeah, well, you know, many people don't really define the term when they start talking about management leadership. And so uh, things get mixed together. Um, you know, positional leadership often gets thrown in the middle. So they, they're talking about a position of leadership, what you need to do. So with this section, we want to be very specific. Uh, and so we define management very narrowly as making decisions about those things you control because of your position. And so you're in a certain position that's given, you're given authority, you get to make decisions. And those decisions are incredibly important. Uh, you know, who you hire is probably the most important of those decisions, uh, you know, but then where they sit and how much you pay them and what work you give them and, and what's their authority in the organization, all kinds of things that you get to make every day, make decisions and making good management decisions is, is really important for an organization. But it's not 
the same thing as leadership. Leadership's your ability to influence people to eagerly follow your direction. And so, you know, that's different. You can make a decision, but if everybody goes, oh, there's Joel making a stupid decision again, they may follow the decision, but their enthusiasm for following that decision is very low and you don't get very good output. And so if you want to maximize productivity, you have to do both management and leadership. You have to make good decisions and then do it in a way that everybody is excited about following your direction. And then the third tool that you have as a manager is coaching, which is the continuous improvement uh, of your employees. And every person that works for you, you should be in a coaching relationship with every employee who works for you. Uh, and that you know, is a, is a continuous process that goes on from the, when they start working to you till when they quit working with you. Go ahead, Alicia. I, I, oh, I want to follow up on the coaching here. Go ahead. Well, we kind of see, you know, well, well, well-rounded managers, like a three-legged stool. So one, you know, one leg is management, one leg is leadership, the other is coaching. Without any one of them, that stool just falls right over. So uh, um, it's important to have all three and do all three. I so, so appreciate that analogy. It's one of those areas that I, for myself, I have believed that since my own uh, life in, in, in all of these positions is that you really effective managers have to lead effective leaders have to manage and everybody coaches if, if we're going to make it. And if I get, if I hear pushback on any of those three, the one that most frequently I will get some pushback on periodically is the coaching element. Um, and it's not that people don't feel that it needs to happen or that it's not important. It's that they sense it's a weakness for them. I don't feel like I'm good at this. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how to be effective at it. And so I'm curious if you have any advice for people listening who are going, yeah, I know I need to be helping my people grow, but boy, that's, that one's challenging for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a misconception about what coaching is. Again, it's a process for improvement. It is not the same as training. Uh, a lot of us think of coaching as training, teaching somebody some technical skill or whatever. In some cases, a manager may be able to train an employee. But for instance, me, most of my time as CEO, most of my employees were executives who were far more technically skilled at their area of expertise than I was. Does that mean we can't have a coaching relationship? Absolutely not, because a coaching relationship is first about where does the employee want to be in the future? How do we get to that position in the future? And me providing objective reality because all of us as individuals want to make excuses. And the, you know, the analogy I use is, is Bill Belichick was head coach of the New England Patriots when Tom Brady was quarterback. And Bill Belichick never played a down in the NFL. Most people don't even realize that, but, but he never played in the NFL. But he's going to go down as one of the great coaches of all time. So when Tom Brady, let's say, dropped back and threw a pass and he threw it 10 yards over the receiver's head, Tom Brady, like any human's natural reaction is going to be, oh, well, the receiver ran the wrong route or the offensive lineman didn't make the right block or the ball was wet or whatever. And Bill Belichick's role is to come over and say, no, Tom, you threw the ball 10 yards over his head. <laughs> uh, now, he might not know why. And so, of course, the New England Patriots would have a quarterback coach who was someone who had probably played quarterback in the NFL, had 
and studied the, the quarterback position in great detail. And he could say, hey, Tom, you dropped your elbow, and that's why it sailed 10 yards over the receiver's head. But don't confuse technical training with coaching, that process of continuously setting goals, where does the person want to be, building a trusted relationship, and then providing them with objective reality. Here's how you're really doing towards getting to your goals and, and, and maintaining that process throughout the relationship. Yeah, so a lot of times with coaching, um, you don't have to necessarily know, you know, with a software developer, you don't have to know, um, you know, a specific language, but you can help your developer by sending them to a specific class and then following up and making sure that they um, attended the class, understood it, and then, you know, practiced along the way. So, so you don't have, I think that's, I think Joel's exactly right, is that coaching, you don't have to know all of the specific skills. You just have to help um, your employees find the right, um, you know, trainer and help them through it. Even reading a book, have them read a book. And then every two weeks, we talk about a certain four or five chapters. So as I'm, as I'm hearing a summary of coaching from your perspective, we're talking about first, we got to have a shared definition of what success looks like and have a, a good set of goals in place. Next, as a coach for this player, assuming I've got a, a motivated team member here, uh, my job becomes to hold up a mirror. Here is objective reality. Here's what's happening. Uh, here's the data, whatever it is. And then we have a conversation and help them figure out how they're going to get to, it's not training, but it's helping them figure out how they're going to get where they want to be. Exactly. Well, we've been talking about the manager's playbook here. We've been talking about part one was fundamentals. We had five competencies to define good management. Part two, we had three tools, management, leadership, and coaching. And, uh, and we're running out of time here, but, and, and of course I want people to go get the book. So we're not going to get every little point in, in the full episode here, but Part three is you get into the meat and potatoes, the work of the manager. And so there's these three elements, planning, execution, and growing. So plan, execute, and grow. And I wanted to, to oh, I actually, I want to hone in on all of them and spend another hour with you, but we just can't. <laughs> so how about let's go to, oh man, where do I want to go? Let's go to execute because you have this four-step process to follow when someone tells you about a problem that I just think is so critical. You know, our, our most recent book, Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And this four-step uh, process to follow when someone brings you a problem, I just think is so critical. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, what are we doing? Uh, yeah, so it, you know, it, it ties back uh, to, the, to the three tools. The three tools kind of answer fundamentally different questions for the employee. And so the management tool answers the what question for the employee. What do I need to do? And every employee needs to know exactly in, in very detailed terms what it is they need to accomplish. And then the leadership question answers the why question for the employee. What's in it for me? Why I should, should engage in this? And then finally, the coaching question answers whether the employee understands the how to do it. And in some cases, they just need training. In some cases, I always use the example, I'm still hoping to play power forward in the NBA, but at 56 years old and five foot 10 and a half, I'm thinking my chances are pretty slim on that one. Sometimes, unfortunately, you have employees who just do not have the, the gifts that are necessary to perform the, the, the job. But those are the three questions you got to answer for every employee. Uh, 
what they need to do, why they need to do it, and how they need to do it. So anytime an employee has a problem, I'm thinking, what, what's the real problem, underlying problem here? Do they not know what to do? Do they not know how to do it? Are they not motivated? Do they not know why to do it? It can be multiple of those things. And so kind of walking through that triage is the way we think about when you're dealing with employees' problems. Um, and, and that covers, you know, 90% of the problems that you're going to see from an employee. It's going to boil down to one of those three areas. And if you always start with, you know, when someone brings you a problem, um, you always start with thank you. Because you want them, you want to start building that culture of um, bring me your problems, we can solve them together, we can figure it out so that they aren't scared to bring you problems or hide them because there's nothing you can do about those. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those, it's a, you know, the, I often say if, if we're in the habit of telling people who don't know the how, like you were mentioning earlier, if we don't, they don't know how to come up with a solution and we tell them, don't bring me a problem without a solution, we just told them, don't bring me a problem. That's right. And yes. and now we're stuck and those are festering and going unsolved. So yes, thank you for bringing this problem. And now let's do that work to, to work through it. Absolutely. All right. So I got one more question for you. Before we do that, though, we're talking with Joel Trammell and Alicia Thrasher about the manager's playbook, make exceptional people management your competitive advantage. Joel and Alicia, where can we find uh, more? Where can we connect with you, find you, find your work and the book? Yeah, so we're at mgr360.com. Um, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, we also have a Manager 360 um, community on LinkedIn. So um, you can also reach us individually, Alicia at mgr360.com and Joel at mgr360.com. And the book's available on Amazon? It is, as well as our website. So either place. Fantastic. And we'll have links to all that in the show notes. All right. So the last question I want to ask you is, as we get into the final section of the work of the manager, grow, where you talk about finding, attracting, and empowering highly talented people. And I want to hone in on this word empower. Uh, one of our, we've got a couple uh, global clients and uh, several of them are really working on empowerment and empowering ownership and empowering teams and and so forth. And I'd like to find out from you, what does it mean from your perspective to empower that those highly talented people that you've, you've brought on board and how do great managers empower their teams or their people? Yeah, I, I think it starts with uh, responsibility. Uh, I want everyone who works for me to feel a ownership, a responsibility for, for their job as opposed to feeling like they have some task list that's been assigned. And, uh, you know, this really hit me in the face. I took over as CEO of a public company and 3,500 employees, and I'm there the first week and, you know, kind of walking around headquarters, don't know many people. And I, I stop by a, a woman's office and I say, uh, you know, what do you, what do you do here, you know, after I introduce myself? And she says, well, you know, I pay invoices A through F. And uh, I go, oh, interesting, you know, uh, I really don't like paying invoices. And at that point, uh, she got this startled look on her face and, and she asked, well, would you want me to stop paying invoices? You know, and, and I was like, no, but, but let's walk through a little thought experiment here. What would happen if you didn't pay invoices? And uh, she said, well, you know, I got some vendors who call me every week, you know, wanting me to send them a check. You know, I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, do, do some people never call? She said, oh, yeah, there's some people I never hear from. They don't seem to care. 
I said, oh, that's, that, you know, that's kind of interesting. And I said, uh, what if we called all the people who call you every week and said, hey, we'll pay your invoices in 10 days instead of 30 days if you'll give us a 3% discount? You think any of them would go for that? And she said, yeah, I think some people would go for that. And I said, what if we called those people who never called us and said, hey, can we push out our invoices to 60 days? You'd really help me out a little bit here. She said, yeah, I think some would do that. I said, well, you know, if you could do that, if we could do that across all our invoices for even 25% of our customers, you'd be just like writing a $10 million check for the business. And her eyes got big and we walked through the math and she went, oh my gosh. And I said, you know, I don't think your responsibility is paying invoices A through F. I said, I think your responsibility is keeping my vendors A through F happy in a way that's most economic for our company. And that framing really changed the way she thought about her job. And so under, having that conversation with every employee about what they're really responsible for in the organization uh, is what's necessary before they can feel empowered to go do something. Because until they understand what they're responsible for, they're not going to be able to take empowered action. Yeah, and that really helps with decision making. So when you allow, you know, employees to make certain decisions and you talk through which ones of those are appropriate, um, it really helps with building trust. And then it goes back to a sense of achievement and motivation. So you can see how all of this kind of ties together as, um, as a system for managers. And on that note, as uh, you're talking through some of those uh, employee success plans, all of that that uh, Joel just hinted at and that Alicia was commenting on, <laughs> it's laid out step by step for you in the manager's playbook. And uh, so I would just uh, emphasize what Alicia was saying is that everything we've been talking about seamlessly integrates, fits together, builds on itself will work for you if you're looking for practical ways to help build your leadership and management uh, and coaching capacity all together. And if you're in a position where you can scale within a department, within an organization, it will do that for you too. Uh, Joel and Alicia, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure talking leadership, management, and coaching all of the above in the manager's playbook with you. Thank you so much, David. Great to be with you. Absolutely. So, uh, hey, listeners, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, thank you for helping make us one of the top 13 leadership podcasts in the world. Uh, share the episode. Commit to your own development and growth here. You've got a great resource in the manager's playbook. And, uh, you know, whether as you've been listening, I can guarantee because I've got this for myself, like I'm thinking through, OK, my communication, authentic motivation, awareness, planning, execute, growth. There is some area that I can take and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.